0: their hearts. How's everybody doing today? I'm not convinced of anything from that response. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Glad to hear that. It's a joy to be with you this morning. One of our partner churches that we often pray for is Northside Baptist Church. Uh, in Liverpool, uh, going kind of north on Route 57. You may know that uh, their lead pastor now of 30 years, uh, Pastor Bruce Aubrey, uh, just kind of stepped down from his lead pastor role. He's still there, um, but entering into a new role. And I had the privilege of sitting uh, with him at the wonderful establishment known as Avicolis. For lunch this week and always appreciate time with him it's it's in some ways when you sit with a man that has pastored for 30 years you feel like you're sitting with uh, a Solomon if you will Uh, a wise uh, gracious man who has much to say about life and especially pastoral ministry and uh, he told me in his next phase of ministry that he was going to give a lot of his time to writing a book, uh, maybe a couple of books. But in his book, his, his hope was to write to pastors and provide some, some 20 lessons from the years of ministry experience. It was compressed instruction. Here's the realities of ministry. Pastors respond in this way. It was such a wonderful time with him at the end of his life and ministry, right the life of his ministry he's sharing his conclusions and providing some instruction some ways felt very similar as we approach the end of Ecclesiastes Uh, next week Ethan will be finishing it up for us uh, and uh, but kind of wrapping this book up together and it seems very similar to me. He's, he's coming to a conclusion. He's coming to an end. He's spoken of all these realities that he's confronted us with. And now, he is going to come to a conclusion. And I think if you see the passage we're about to read, if you want to grab your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read 11 through 12, 8. What you'll notice is, at least 13 commands, 13 commands. So again, it's coming to an end, there's some compressed instruction, and there are some commands. I'm going to try to summarize those. Someone say amen. (laughs) We do not have a 13-point message this morning, okay? Uh, It's going to feel like that maybe, but it's not going to be that, okay? Three unavoidable realities he wants us to face today three unavoidable realities and he wants to call us to three corresponding responses hopefully that gives us a runway three unavoidable realities and three corresponding responses what will solomon say to us as he wraps up his writing in the book of ecclesiastes let's Follow along with me. We'll pray and we'll get moving. Chapter 11, verse 1. Solomon says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, "'for you will find it after many days. "'Give a portion to seven or even eight, "'for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. "'If the clouds are full of rain, "'they empty themselves on the earth. "'And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, "'in the place where the tree falls,' There it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth, and let, not, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But no, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, And the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is wheel-broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit Returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you when we ask that your spirit would teach us. That your spirit would comfort us. That your spirit would transform us into the image of Jesus and sanctify us in the word. We ask this in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. It was during the Great Depression, a difficult time in world history, particularly American history, that Texas entered into the oil boom. That'd be helpful, during the Great Depression. During this oil boom... Uh, they, uh, many towns were able to install natural gas lines through their towns and villages. In one particular village, New London had uh, this privilege. They installed some gas lines. They were able to bring uh, these kind of utilities to help their town, their village function. Obviously, uh, part of the other uh, many structures would have been resourced this way, including the school. Well, over time, they wanted to make it even more resourceful, more profitable. They wanted to save some money, and so they changed the way in which their service was being provided, cut a few corners maybe, uh, to ensure that they could save money and make it even more profitable. But what they did not realize is in the process of that transition, slowly, subtly, but massively in a big cavity under the building was a bunch of natural gas that was building up over time. And then one day, uh, as everyone woke up and thought it would just be another day, they they went to the building, uh, their school building, the teachers and the students, and someone decided to uh, uh, power up a sander. And in an instant, ignited an explosion. And given record-keeping, they don't really know precisely, but they estimate that between 300 and 500 students and faculty instantly died. Solomon says, you know not what disaster may happen on earth to be. Verse 2. Right away we're confronted with an unavoidable reality from Solomon. We do not know everything. Let that sit in for a moment. We do not know everything. On four occasions in the first six verses, he tells us we do not know everything. We do not know when disaster will come. We don't know the kind of accidents that will occur. I mean, did anyone predict March 15th, 2020, when the world would shut down. No one saw that coming. We do not know everything. Three more times he says this. He says in verse 5, "Is you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I mean, we've had a lot of pregnant women. We've had a lot of babies in this church over the years. It's a wonderful gift to have children and babies. Amen? We have 4K cameras now that can literally give you a perfect view of the womb. Like we are, technology and innovation and advancement, you can absolutely, I mean, it's crazy what we're able to do. But as far as that has gone, Solomon reminds us, We don't really have a full understanding of the mystery of how God creates, of how life enters the womb, how the spirit comes into the bones of a baby. It's a mystery. We do not completely know and understand it. He goes on to say, You do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Verse 6, he's talking about uh, sowing seed in the day, in the morning, and in the evening. i got to tell you, I am the worst at growing grass. It seems simple. Dirt, seed, rain, and sun, okay? But I want to tell you, I'm like, I'm like two for 200 on growing grass. It's like, it's just, every, time there's, every time there's no grass in my lawn, I'm like, gotta get sod. There's no other way. There's no way I'm growing grass. I mean, you would think, throw seed, little bit of sun, you know, till the soil a little bit, just all, it's just simple. He's saying, throw your seed, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Some of that seed's going to be good. Some of that seed's going to um, cause growth. But the truth is, you don't know. You don't know if both will be good or neither, this or that. There's so much that we don't know. We can make assumptions, we can make observations about life, but we really don't know. There's so much that we don't know. And given this, he, as he reminds them of this unavoidable reality that we don't know everything, he tells them how to respond. And I want to be super careful of the tone here. Super careful. When we don't know everything... The common response is fear. Paralyzing fear. When we can't look ahead and understand and control and know and predict all the variables of life, I don't know about you, but that makes me a little nervous. Well, then I'm not going to do anything, I'm going to stay put. Not knowing something has a way of paralyzing us when it comes to action and decision-making. That's the tendency of many. But Solomon says, embrace each day assertively. Solomon says, given the uncertainty of events, Embrace each day assertively. Go for it. Right? Look at four commands. Verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. He's saying make investments. Take risks. Be bold. He says, verse 2, Give a portion to seven or even to eight. In some ways, he's saying, "As you cast your bread, like, diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, be bold, be assertive, go for it. Make investments, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. Verse six, in the morning, sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand. Work hard. Day and night, go after it. Be bold, take initiative. Do not face uncertainties in life with a paralyzing fear. But you say, Thanks, I'm still scared. I need some kind of basis, some kind of assurance. And for if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you. I want to remind each and every one of us of the foundation of such assertiveness, and it's a deep faith in our creator and sustainer who knows all. We may not know everything, but rest in the assurance, in faith, that the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Do you hear that? My grandparents... You know, I speak of them often. I can't help but think of them in the kind of faith that they exercised and employed, especially in their latter years. I want to tell you that the sweetness that you saw in their fading years in life here in this congregation prior to their death was not always the case. Matter of fact, they were prone to a paralyzing fear in life. They were worry warts, always nervous and scared, But over time, they learned to trust in Jesus for everything. They came to a sweet simplicity in their faith where they could say at their kitchen counter, I don't know, but the Lord knows. And we don't need to fear. We can move forward and we can trust we can trust in him. They were okay with not knowing because they embraced the truth of Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. You can be assertive when you don't know everything because the Lord knows and in His knowledge, it is not just some like, "Yeah, I get it, I understand it." It's up there. The Lord's knowledge is very intimately involved in your life. The Lord, you think of Exodus chapter two when the people of Israel were trapped in uh, um, slavery for four hundred years. What do we? What does uh, Moses write in Exodus chapter two? The Lord saw, and the Lord knew he knew and we know what he did he remembered his promise to abraham isaac and jacob and what did he do he redeemed them he's his knowledge leads him to in love involve himself in our lives his providential knowledge is a providential care He is watching over you in every moment of your lives. You need not face life with fear. You can be bold and assertive and, of course, wisely take risks because the Lord knows. Amen? That's what Solomon is pointing us to. Given the uncertainty of events and based on a deep faith in God, we can embrace each day assertively. Assertively. The second unavoidable reality is this. Life under the sun is by nature good, yet fleeting. It's good, yet it's fleeting. He tells us, verse 7, light is sweet. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. CNYers, someone said, Amen? I mean, it's like, it's hard for us to believe. Is light a thing? I heard of the sun. It comes around sometimes. Many of us suffer from SAD for nine months a year. Seasonal affective disorder, right? Like, light is sweet, but we wouldn't know, right? It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Yeah. Enjoy Florida. What, do you, what is he saying there? He's saying life is good. Life is good. Life is a gift. It's the nature of it. To have it is a good thing. The breath in our lungs each day, right? He already told us a living dog is better than a dead lion. Do you remember that proverb? It's better to be alive than it is dead. Life is good. It's a gift. It's a grace. He tells us that. But again, he comes back to that word. He Reminds us that life under the sun is good, but it's also fleeting. He used that word vanity, right? Vanity. All that comes is vanity. Youth and the dawn of life are vanity, verse 10. Vanity, vanity. Verse 8 and chapter 12. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. That means life is vain? It means it's meaningless? Well, not really. That's not what it means. Over the course of this series, we have been saying, that, and it's important that we understand the nature of this word, life is something that you can't quite get your hands around, right? As Ethan shared. It's, a, it's an inability to seemingly grasp the whole, or life is elusive. It's As, as Bernie would say, it's a breath. Bernie's one of our elders over at Covenant. A breath, a vapor, a mist. It's a sense of something temporary. It's fleeting, and it's ultimately disappointing. He's talking about life under the sun, this life. It's the Genesis 4 reality due to sin. It can be frustrating, life. Things don't make sense sometimes. You cast seed, you get water and sun, there's no grass. Ah! Ah! Life, it's vanity. You should really just say, it's fleeting. It's good, but it's temporary. It's transient. It's a puff of air. It's vapor. It's here, then it's gone. That's the nature of life. It's good, but it's ultimately gone. Life under the sun. So what do we do with that? Well, he tells us something that maybe doesn't make sense. Maybe it does. I don't know. He says, embrace each day joyfully. Given the nature of life, embrace each day joyfully. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Enjoy him. Verse nine, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Summarize, life is good. It's fleeting. Embrace it with joy. Enjoy what God has given to you. Let your heart cheer you. And I think... Many of us in our world, we hear life is good, but it's temporary, fleeting. Right? We would conclude seek self pleasure all the time in every moment. Right? This idea can easily lead to hedonism. It can easily lead us to say what one hedonistic blogger said. I mean, life is short and no one has a clue what happens when you die, so we might as well enjoy the ride while it lasts. Do what makes you happy. Life is short. You hear that? Is that culture's ethical system? If life is good, a lot to be enjoyed, and it's short, just do what makes you happy always, irrespective of how, what kind of impact that would have on other people. Yet Solomon frames true joy in relationship to God. And I want to just talk about that briefly. Look at verse 9 and 10. Know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Oh, the reality of God In the pursuit of joy. The reality of judgment. He says remove vexation from your heart. And put away pain or evil from your body. Solomon is calling us to joy. But it's all within the framework. Of relationship to God. Those things are not disconnected. Joy and relationship with God. As you enjoy life, don't foolishly embrace a life without any reference for God. Such an act is a forfeiture of true joy. We must embrace life with joy, with a recognition that we live each day in total accountability to God. In one day, after this life of joy under the sun, which is marred by its fleeting nature and sin, we will stand before God in judgment. That's what Solomon is reminding us of. It's not a license to do whatever we want for our own happiness. Again, that seems like the path to joy, but it's actually a forfeiture of joy. It's a lie. It leaves us empty. It leaves us Miserable, especially in the end. So understand what Solomon is saying in these verses. He's not speaking double talk. He's pointing us all to the way of true joy, to the meaning of life, the nature of life for real. And it's all within a covenant relationship with God. Isn't that what Jesus said? This is eternal life. This is essentially what life is. And life that lasts. He says, speaking to his father, to know you, the one true God, and his son whom you have sent. That is life. Truly, essentially. It is good. And it is eternal. Amen? It is beyond this life under the sun. So please, please, hear the wonderful news of the gospel, that God has secured such a relationship with him through the death of his son. He sees our Genesis 4 living in frustrations. He understood our state. He sent his son to embrace the sorrows that we endure in this life that we might receive true joy in God. Jesus paid the penalty for sin and all foolish self-indulgence, for all the hedonistic pursuits, so that we might enter into fellowship with the Trinity and friendship with Christ Jesus himself. That's the nature of life. That's where joy is found, and that joy will never be robbed from you if you know and embrace Jesus by faith. Is that not the hope of the gospel? Given the nature of life, Embrace it joyfully, joyfully. And you say, well, man, my circumstances, my life stinks. Nothing goes right. All the things that Solomon calls me to enjoy, I don't have any of those things. I feel miserable. And I want to just briefly uh, uh, speak to you. The Lord knows the Lord sees, the Lord cares, the Lord is with you in those sorrows and struggles. He sympathizes with you. And even as you wrestle, know for sure that you have the source of true joy that can radically transform the way you live, even if you never have the, the temporal joys that we have often are able to participate in. If the circumstances of life don't feel so good, seems unfair, they're difficult, they're hard to enjoy, remember the words of Asaph in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he goes on to conclude... For me, it is good to be near God. When we have a relationship with God through Christ, we have all that is needed to know and experience and appropriate joy in this life under the sun. So even as Satan would try to discourage you, even as Satan would try to shame you, Even as you would compare your life in the circumstances to maybe someone else who seems to be more blessed by God, understand this, he's given you himself. He's given you all that is necessary to enjoy life to the fullest, and he is your portion forever, amen? It's the nature of life, relationship with Jesus, life that is full of joy, that is not fleeting, trust in him today see him and all that he is and embrace him repent and turn away from your sinful self indulgence just trying to live for your own personal happiness and run into the arms of your savior and know the true joy that comes with that given the nature of life embrace each day joyfully He continues with his third unavoidable reality, which is related to and built upon the very things I just mentioned. God is your creator. Okay? Reality number three. You live each day accountable to your creator. In some ways, I've emphasized some of these things already, and in some ways, that's exactly what Solomon is doing here. He says... Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. We come, to fi- we come face to face here with our creatureliness. We are creatures. We've been made. Contrary to what culture would say is that you can make yourself anyone and anything you want to be and self-create and self-actualize we come face to face, in Solomon's words, with that we are creatures. We've been made. we made who we are. Parents, teach your children this. Instill in their hearts and minds the fact that they are creatures. They are young boys and girls made in the image of God. I remember the catechism, the first couple questions. With our kids and I know many of you, young parents and young families are working through catechisms with your children, and those first bu- uh, questions of the Truth and Grace Catechism were, "Who made you?" Come on, Evelyn. God made you. God made you. Why did God make you in all things? For His own glory?" For his own glory. And we stop there. We just quit. So she doesn't know anything else. <laughs> that's it. But man, we look good. There's 145 questions, and we got the first two. (laughs) We quit. We went to Chipotle. Good job. we got to teach and instill a sense of living life as a creation, right? Shaping the identity of our young children. You are a creation of God. You are a servant of God. You are a child of God. And even now, as we're speaking directly to parents and children, we come to the realization that each and every one of us here needs to be reminded of the simple truths of the kind of identity that we have due to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We're creatures. You're a creature of God. You're a servant of God. You're a child of God. That's who God has made you to be. Amen? We find our dignity and value and worth in that, knowing that we have been made in the image of God. We are his creatures. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember, put a knot on your finger, flip some flashcards, make sure you memorize certain irrelevant facts about God. No, that's not what is being said there. You've forgotten, don't forget. Put that little knot on your finger and flip some flashcards. While you're driving in the car? No, don't do that. Flip some flashcards and try to remember some things that you know are potentially useless facts. No, remember is so much more than this. I appreciated Alistair Begg's definition. He goes on to say that it is so much more than that. It is to drop every sense of self-sufficiency and to cast ourselves unreservedly on God as our creator and sustainer. It's so easy to live each day without reference to our creator, to assume a self-sufficiency. He says, no, to remember is, that command is a call to live each day consistent with the very reason that we are alive, to live in reference to him and to the glory of his name, every day, every moment. Remember your creator and your sustainer. It's a call to whole life faithfulness. It's a call to worship. It's a call to love. It's a call to devotion. It's a call to obedience. Remember your creator, friend. But more specifically, he tells who and when to remember your creator. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. What? That goes against everything we tell young people. Enjoy it now. Figure it out later. This is your time. Go have fun. It's so easy for a young person to think these are the days in which I just go do my thing and have a bunch of fun, and someday, later, I'll remember my creator. Isn't that what college is? Right? Like, go find, have your fun and figure it all out and find yourself somewhere else. No, that's silly talk. But that's what we do. That's what we do. Have fun when you're young. But Solomon is saying, don't waste your youth. Don't waste your strength. Don't waste the early days of your life in doing whatever for your own fun. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Teens, students, college students, young professionals, Listen to what Solomon is saying. Hear the word of God. There is no greater opportunity for you to remember and live faithfully in relationship to your creator than right now. In the days of your youth. Right? Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. You be an example in your youth to all the believers. In speech, and conduct, in love, in faith, and in impurity. Man. Teens. Students. God's speaking to you directly here. Explicitly. Remember your creator in your youth. Remember, and he goes on to give, and I'll summarize, verses um, 1, then 2 through 5, and 6, and 7. He's summarizing. Remember, one long sentence. Those eight verses, one long sentence. It's almost like he, he's saying and he's just going on and on. He's trying to catch his breath. <sighs> to emphasize the urgency of remembering your Creator and your youth, he says, Before evil days come upon you and your desire and pleasure is gone. He says, verses two through five, he's giving all these images that show aging and the deterioration that happens in life. Friends, you all know I'm complaining every week about the next bump, bruise, and knee that hurts, and I'm deteriorating, I'm dying, right? Like It's just the nature of what's taking place. Say, remember your creator before you get tendinitis in every joint of your body, before you deteriorate, before the process of aging takes over before you make an excuse every week to Dan Miley why you can't go to the gym anymore. Remember your creator in your youth. I'm being silly, but what I'm saying is aging and deterioration is a reality that we're all going to have to face in this life. So remember your creator now when you have strength and vitality. Remember your creator before your death, verses 6 and 7. Before what? What What is the language he uses? Right before the, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher shattered, the wheel broken at the cistern, the dust returns to the earth, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember your creator before you die. Well, you say, I got 80 years. Do you? You don't know. You don't know everything. You don't, can't make assumptions like that. Remember your creator in your youth. But lest we think that that's just for teens and students, the point is this. No matter how old we are, explicitly, the urgency and the manner in which Solomon is communicating is this. He's saying this to everyone. Remember your creator now. Now, not later. Remember your creator before anything else happens. Before anything else happens, remember your Creator. Live faithfully in relationship to Him. Given the reality of God, given uh, the reality of who He is, embrace each day faithfully. Do it now. Do it now. Don't wait, don't delay. Do it now. And I wonder if many of us have lived as if we've forgotten. And maybe need some encouragement as you walk through some shame and guilt, as you consider the direction and path of your life right now. Hear the gospel from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 49, 14, and 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? What an absurdity. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. God will not forget his people. Even as we forget moment by moment, day by day, maybe even year by year, if you belong to God in Christ, he promises he will never forget you. Amen? He will never forget you. He will always remember. He will always call to mind his promises that he has made toward you. Some of you need that encouragement today. You feel like God has forgotten you. Let me be very clear. He has not. He has not. He remembers you. So knowing that we have not been forgotten, forgotten, may we remember. May we embrace each day faithfully. We don't know everything. Life under the sun is by nature good, yet it is fleeting. We live each day accountable to our Creator. These are three unavoidable realities. And we wonder, how does God's knowledge, how does God's promises, and how is God's faithfulness each day leading us to respond? Well, that's what Solomon points us to. Because of God's knowing of us, and because of God's promises to us, and because of God's faithfulness to us in his son, Jesus Christ, we can embrace each day assertively, joyfully, and faithfully. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your word. We thank you for reminding us of reality. You know all things. You govern all things. You care for all your people. You have made promises to us that last. You've given us life in your Son, Jesus Christ. And you never forget us. Enable us, based on the foundation of all that you are, obey you and to live a life of boldness, to live a life of joy, and to live a life of faithfulness to the glory of your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Guys, each week we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I was thinking about this. There's so many ways to tie in the Lord remembering as we come to the table and how, in many ways, we're remembering at this meal. right? We're called to remember the Lord's death. And sacrifice on her behalf. We're called to receive it, the grace that comes from it. And I was thinking about one of the most wonderful and powerful passages in the Scripture: uh, this this song of Mary, right, the Magnificat, right. And it, the realization that God was working in a miraculous way, she bursts out in song, and she says, "My soul magnifies the Lord." And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And, he, and she goes on to say, verse 54 and 55, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. What God was doing in bringing his son into the world by the power of the Spirit through the womb of Mary was a work of his own remembrance of his promises, his uh, faithfulness that every promise he's made he will keep and everyone has been kept in Christ Jesus and even our salvation from sin. We remember at this meal, but guess what? We remember that he remembers. Amen? So consider that as you come to the table this morning. I'm going to invite the servers to come forward on each side. When you are called to come forward, you can come down the center aisle, receive the elements, go down the side aisles, return to your seat. We'll partake together. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus as Savior, and you've been baptized into his church, that is your union with him has been signified publicly in baptism, you are welcome to come and receive From the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you've not placed your faith in him, or you're still asking questions about him, you need to know more, we would love to talk with you uh, about that, share the hope of the gospel, introduce you to Christ, what true life really is. Uh, We'd love to have that conversation with you. And as well, if you've not been baptized and you're like, I wanna get baptized, I believe, we would also love to have that conversation with you as well and prepare you for baptism. But if you're here today, uh, but for those, this meal is reserved for those who believe and have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Let's um, pray one last time, and then I'll invite you to come forward. Father God, as we approach your supper uh, this morning, uh, together, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. May we consider it our sin. May we turn from it. May we consider each other and recognize that we receive this as one body in Christ together. And may we remember, may we remember your promises and how you fulfilled each and every one of them in Jesus. Give us joy at this table and hope as well. Give us gratitude as we receive. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, please stand and come forward and receive. As we receive together, hear the words from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to sing a couple songs and close out. Father in heaven, all praise and glory be to you. Each week we are reminded of your perfect, all-sufficient work in Jesus Christ. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All of this was your plan your promise that you made uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a promise that you remembered and fulfilled perfectly. And for this, we give you praise. We thank you, and we seek to live for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Do we got a couple more songs in us? Let's stand and let's sing together.